time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you today? Thanks for joining us for our midweek financial physician podcast for Wednesday, September 6, 2023. Lots going on, lots to talk about today. Later in the program, we're going to talk more about the scamdemic that they're trying to bring back again. And I think it's fallen flat on most Americans. Uh, but, you know, they're out there still pushing it. Some schools now are mandating the kids get their masks again, which is just child abuse in so many different ways. Uh, our good friend, Dr. Fauci, who just won't go away. Supposed to be retired, but, you know, he's on CNN and MSNBC almost every other day now. Well, on CNN, he uh, admitted to lack of COVID mask evidence at the population level, but still pushes to wear them anyway. And we'll dive into that later in the program. Uh, another leak from Jack Smith's special counsel office about Trump. Uh, it looks like he's going to drop some more indictments on him uh, related to January 6th. Uh, you won't believe this one. It's so ridiculous and so lame. So what's this guy going to do? Drop indictments every uh, month uh, and just keep stacking them, stacking them, and stacking them? Just out of control. Uh, crime and violence in America is just soaring, uh, especially in Democratic-run hellholes. Did you see the video this week of a six-year-old, 60-year-old woman being beaten in the New York subway by, with her own cane 50 times hit? Um, by some deranged man. And guess what? He's out on the street again. It's just the way it works in cities like New York and Chicago and LA. They just take these criminals and mentally ill people and just turn them right back on the street so they can go out there and commit more crimes. Crazy, crazy craziness. Uh, don't look now, but oil prices are getting close to $100 a barrel again. Um, Saudi Arabia comes out and announced that they're going to keep their cutbacks going and Oil is soaring, uh, and you're going to see gasoline prices over four bucks sometime soon. Uh, and of course, that'll spur inflation throughout the entire economy. But Bidenomics is working just great. All right, let's start off talking about chapter four of my book, The Financial Physician How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. The last few weeks, I've been going through the book chapter by chapter and giving you a summation and an update because I wrote it 13 years ago. Uh, but obviously, just personal finance topics you know, don't really change that much over the years. And chapter four deals with um, a financial symptom, uh, and I like to use analogies to medicine and health uh, with finance, hence the name The Financial Physician. Um, and uh, one of our symptoms of financial failure is addiction to debt and spending. And, you know, it all goes together with the first uh, three chapters of this book, uh, financial illiteracy, financial irresponsibility, feelings of material entitlement, 
and now addiction to debt and spending. They all kind of go together, don't they? Um, now, in the late 1970s, uh, traditional commercial banking practices began to change. Before then, loans were given mainly from local community banks, uh, and then the nationwide banks started to step in, and they started to uh, give out personal loans in, in the form of credit cards, and credit cards became all the rage in the late 70s, 80s, into the 90s, and currently today we have a record-breaking amount of high-interest credit card debt. Also, uh, banks started lowering their lending standards, and they were extending credit cards to almost anybody who could fog up a mirror. And, and, and bankers were very aggressive in soliciting credit card customers. How many of us remember getting these free cards in the mail or uh, applications? Uh, and uh, many people did that. They needed money. They, they filled out the application, sent it in, and started using credit cards, uh, which is the worst way to spend money on anything is to use a credit card. Uh, why? Because, hey, you're putting yourself in debt to buy something that you probably don't need. And when you take into consideration how high the credit card interest, which is averaging 22% right now, a record high, you may be paying twice as much for that same product by the time you pay it off over time. Um, and uh, people now became addicted to spending because it was so easy to do. Add to that, QVC network. I have clients, this is mainly women, of course, uh, that are addicted to QVC. They stay up late and they buy stuff on credit. They can't help themselves. I have a client almost bankrupt herself doing that. Now you have Amazon. Again, you don't have to leave your house to spend money. See how the industry uh, has evolved to make it so much easier for us to part with our money. Through instant credit, through instant gratification by buying something on QVC or Amazon, having it delivered sometimes the same day, that still blows my mind. How I can go on Amazon and order a product at 10.30 in the morning and at 4 o'clock is on my doorstep. I still don't understand how that happens, uh, but see how easy it is. Uh, and you got PayPal, you got Venmo, you got all kinds of things going on that make it so easy to spend your money. So before the 1970s, we were a nation of savers. We were taught that you, you save your money. If you want to buy something, you save up the cash and then you buy it for cash. But once easy credit became available, we became a nation of spenders. Also, advertising, you know, on TV shows, uh, every time there was a commercial break, they're trying to sell you something. And it just pretty much never ends 24-7. You go on the internet, you have all these pop-up ads coming up. And it's so kind of insidious, you know. Uh, uh, I was researching a cruise uh, uh, on Expedia. And all of a sudden, everywhere I go on the internet, pops up cruise ads. Because there's an algorithm that looks for that. And now I'm being advertised from every cruise line possible. And it's very easy to get caught up in this. And with the availability of easy credit, you know, shopping has become a pastime for many people. It's a way to be entertained. 
we love the uh, the process of buying and acquiring things. How many people just love going to the store? It's something that they enjoy doing. Even if they don't need anything, they still want to go to the store. And then they make impulsive purchases, more often than not, using the credit card. And charging things that we can't afford became a way of life. It's quick, it's easy, uh, relatively painless, at least <laughs> at least when you buy it, uh, not when you're paying it back. According to MyFICO.com, the average consumer has a total of 13 credit obligations uh, on record at the credit bureau. These include credit cards, including department store charge cards, gas cards, bank cards, installment loans such as auto loans, mortgage loans, student loans. And of these 13 credit obligations, nine are likely to be credit cards and four are likely to be installment loans. And I say in the book, uh, credit cards are cancer to the financial body. And uh, when I wrote the book, um, more than 700 million credit cards were reportedly in circulation in the United States. And now there's well over a billion credit cards in the United States. Now, even when interest rates were low, the banks and the credit card companies kept their interest rates incredibly high. They were paying us 0% on our bank accounts and charging us 19% on our credit cards. Now, I, I'm giving you the average. You know, they could charge legally 29.99%. And I've had credit cards that do charge that, even though I have a great credit rating. And why it's legal for banks to charge such exorbitant loan shark type usury uh, is beyond me. Well, it's not beyond me. It's because the banks have a big lobby in Congress. And But as we spend, as we charge, we fall deeper into debt. And even if our earnings increase, our net worth doesn't grow because we just spend more money. And according to the Federal Reserve, family debt levels in the United States are nearly double what they were 25 years ago. Double. And debt has risen much faster than the economy has grown. In 1985, total household debt was $400 billion. By 2008, it soared to $13.8 trillion. And this includes $10.5 trillion uh, in mortgages and $2.6 trillion in credit card debt. Well, today... It is $17.06 trillion total household debt. Uh, it's growing exponentially. And why is that? Well, houses are more expensive now, so people need to borrow more on mortgages. Inflation uh, and the fact that people live beyond their means uh, means the only way to live beyond your means is to pull out the credit card or borrow more money. We also have the price of cars soaring. You know, a good new car right now costs as much as a house did in 1978. And just like when you buy a house, you get a mortgage. Now, you basically, you're taking a mortgage out to buy a car. A seven-year fixed-rate mortgage in many cases. 
And another thing that happened uh, in the 2000s um, is that for the first time, Americans had a negative savings rate in 2006 and 2007. What does that mean? It means we spent more than we earned. And if you look at a chart of um, U.S. family savings rates, it's just going straight down. And right now, most Americans save nothing uh, and barely can make it paycheck to paycheck. So how do you get out from under your addiction to debt and spending? Well, the first thing you have to do, and it's not easy, you have to cure your addiction to debt and spending by buying only what you absolutely need, not what you just want. And you got to go cold turkey. You got to be more disciplined. You got to grow up. You got to stop that impulse buying. Even when you're food shopping. Don't tempt yourself by, you know, you have nothing to do in visiting the mall. Um, Retail establishments are not places to hang out. It's very dangerous to do that. Uh, And don't go to a shop or a mall unless you know beforehand exactly what you need. And there's that word again, need. And you really need that item. And as soon as you buy that item, leave the store. Don't purchase anything else. Don't dawdle or look around. The temptations may be too much for you, especially if you have an addiction to spending. How do you get out from credit card debt? Uh, a lot of people ask me that question. Lou, I got four or five credit cards. You know, what's the best strategy? I want to pay these down. Well, first of all, you got to stop spending. You got to stop spending. At least money you don't have. And uh, in the book, I lay out a strategy for paying off your credit card debt. So say you were, you're paying $400 a month on credit card debt. What I would do is I would look at the uh, the card that had the highest interest rate and I would pay the minimum on the other cards and take the remainder of my $400 budget for credit card and pay the most high interest rate card until it's paid off. The next thing you do, you take your $400 budget. Now you just eliminated one credit card. Good for you. Congratulations. Grab a beer or whatever adult drink makes you happy and celebrate. So take the next card with the next highest interest and pay the other cards at their minimum. And then take the balance of the 400 and pay down that debt. Now you maybe you've uh, decreased your debt in half. Now this may take eight months, may take a year. It doesn't matter as long as you're going in the right direction. Kind of like losing weight. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're disciplined, you stay true to it, you will get out of credit card debt. And so forth and so on. Then once that's paid off, now you have two credit cards left. Pay the one with the highest debt. uh, Pay the minimum on the last one. And then just pay the last one off. And it starts going pretty quick because as you pay off one credit card, that's one payment you don't have to make anymore. So you could attack the rest of your debt. Now, other financial experts, uh, um, Dave Ramsey, Ramsey for one, he says that 
you should pay off the credit card with the minimum balance because you'll get a psychological victory or, or something like that because you paid one off. And uh, I, I don't agree with that. I believe paying off the cards uh, uh, with the highest interest makes the most sense. But paying off cards with the smallest balance first may be, I don't know, a strong psychological motivator. Maybe you feel like getting rid of it um, is a victory, and it is. But getting rid of the highest interest rate card makes more financial sense. Uh, You don't have to be an economist or a certified financial planner to realize that. Also, you make large payments if you can. You know, you get a tax refund. Don't blow it on vacation. Take the money and put it towards your debt. Don't miss any payments. That's a key because it's going to affect your credit rating. But uh, I've um, I've advised people to do this strategy, and it's been very successful. But the key here is that just like a diet, uh, you can't start putting on weight again by using that credit card again. So when all your credit card debt is paid, cut up all your cards except one. A Visa or a MasterCard is most accepted anywhere in the world. Find the one with the lowest interest rate. And only use it, A, if it's an emergency, and B, if you could pay it off by the end of the month and incur no interest. Uh, And like I said, it's not easy. You have to sacrifice. you got to go cold turkey. Just like it's not easy to lose 50 pounds. It's not easy to pay off 30,000 in credit card debt either. But if you want to, and you should, uh, uh, you will be financially successful, and you'll be able to pay that off. As I said, credit rating is important, and uh, it's critical. I say it's the financial equivalent of a strong pulse, that you're credit worthy, that you show yourself to be financially responsible uh, to the credit reporting agencies. And your credit rating could also influence, you know, those who are considering lending, uh, re- renting you a home or an apartment or doing business with you or hiring you. And if you have a good credit rating, more often than not, you get a lower interest loan if you need it. So where do you get your credit rating? You can get it free of charge online, annualcreditreport.com. Annualcreditreport.com. Now, each credit uh, rating agencies give away a free report once a year. So if you stack them where every four months your year is up, you can get a credit rating every four months from different agencies, all free of charge. And it's important that you look it through because what a credit report does is it tells you all your outstanding debts, your current outstanding debts, whether or not you're current on them, whether you missed any payments, past debts that are either satisfied as agreed upon, that's a, a term that's used a lot in credit reports. That's what you want to see, that you had past debts that were satisfied as agreed upon. Not satisfied because you negotiated you know, a lower balance because you were in financial trouble. That, that won't do it. 
but mean you paid it off according to the terms of the credit card. And if you see something on a credit report that doesn't look right, get on the phone with that credit reporting agency and find out how that came about. Try to get it scrubbed. So important to have a good credit score. And uh, FICO score is something separate. FICO comes from a different um, company than the credit reporting agencies, although they have them now too. They, they give them to you. It's not hard to get your FICO score these days. And FICO score um, range from 300 to 850. So if you're more than 750, that's excellent. You're one of the best credit people out there. If you're over 800, that's spectacular. Uh, you're a very, very good credit risk. 720 to 750, very good. You should have no problem uh, getting a loan at favorable terms. 660 to 720, it's acceptable, but now we're moving into the gray area. Uh, you may wind up, if you get the loan, having to pay a higher interest rate. 620 to 660, uncertain. Uh, you're going to have some difficulty getting credit, whether that's a mortgage, a car loan, a credit card. Uh, there's a reason why you're in the 600s. Uh, you probably missed some payments. Maybe you defaulted on a loan in your past. Uh, and if you blow 620, you're just a risky person. And most likely than not, you're not going to get a loan from anybody. And chances are your credit history is so bad, probably has a bankruptcy in there or a repossession of a car, um, you know, foreclosure, whatever. Uh, you're not going to get a loan. So how do you get your score up? Everybody asks, how do I get my credit score up? Well, number one, pay your bills on time. Ooh, that's an awful approach. Uh, keep low account balances. You know, your credit score is affected by how much debt you have and how much debt's available to you. So say you have a credit card that has a $10,000 credit limit and you only have $2,000 borrowed against it. Well, your loan utilization rate is only 20%. But if you have a 10,000 credit limit and you have debt of 9,000 against it, your credit utilization now is 90%. That is going to affect your credit rating. So keep account balances low. Obviously, you don't want to pay all that interest. We just talked about that. Uh, and keep your debt low, especially credit card debt. Uh, consistently pay more than the minimum which will help decrease the balances uh, in your debt. Again, affect uh, positively affect your credit score. Uh, keep your oldest credit cards active. Use them occasionally and promptly pay their balances because if you don't use the credit cards, you're not establishing credit. Now, I use my Visa card to pay for almost everything because I get cash back from my bank. I get 4% back on gasoline which we'll talk about a little bit going through the roof, the prices of gasoline again. So 4% could add up. And I get, I get cash back on everything, depending on the item, what the percent is. Uh, but I'm surprised. I go there and say, oh, I got $300, you know, that I could use to pay down the balance of the credit card just from cash back from purchases. But if you're smart and you want to build a good credit score, pay it off entirely. By the end of the month, you avoid interest. And you're building up a good credit score. Check every bill. Dispute all errors. You know, make sure that your um, charges to your accounts are correct. Mistakes are made all the time. 
And if you're not diligent, you don't pay attention to it, you're not going to catch it. Check your credit reports. As I said before, do that regularly. You could do it every four months free of charge. And challenge anything that's questionable. Also, there's a website, a free website called creditkarma.com. Creditkarma with a K. Dot com. And they'll give you the equivalent of your FICO score there. Uh, and they'll show you uh, ways to improve your credit. Uh, it'll also give you a lot of information about any of the debts that you have out there. And it'll give you commercial opportunities to refinance uh, some of that debt. Really good free website to use. Now, before you apply for a loan, say you're going to get a car, don't incur any new credit charges for a month or two. Real important. Don't show that you're going deeper and deeper into debt. Uh, it's going to make the lender wonder if you're going to be able to afford that car payment. And take new credit only when you absolutely need it. Um, so it's not hard to get out of debt. It's not hard to improve your credit score. It does take, it does take effort. Uh, it does take sacrifice. Uh, but just as if you have a goal to lose 20 pounds, 25 pounds. Uh, if you stay true, you do it systematically, you do it diligently, you will achieve your goal. And then when you do achieve your goal, you want to maintain uh, your weight and you want to maintain your credit situation uh, as uh, optimally as possible. All right, let's take a quick break. My name's Luz Katigna, and you're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Be sure to listen to The Financial Physician with Luz Katigna every Sunday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Beach Radio 1160 and 1310 a.m. Or listen to the archives online at com. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast. I'm Luz Katigna. We talk money, markets, politics, and we do it twice a week. Our main podcast up Sunday morning by, nowadays it's 7 a.m., uh, but certainly up by 9 a.m. Eastern time. That's our Roughly two-hour program, uh, our main podcast of the week. 
uh, during midweek, Wednesday by 4 p.m. That's my goal anyway. Uh, certainly by 5 p.m. Uh, we'll have up the midweek podcast. It runs roughly an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and we talk about things that we don't talk about on Sunday. Uh, so if you miss a midweek podcast, you're going to miss a lot of information because I don't usually repeat myself unless it's something so important that I, I, I don't want anybody to miss it. Um, and uh, like I said, it'll be up by 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. And I appreciate you sharing the podcast. The podcast is growing and it's growing because listeners who like the program turn other people onto it. So share it. Put it on your social media. Email the link to your friends and family uh, and tell them to listen to this program. In the months ahead, in the years ahead, uh, we're going to be living through, uh, we are already, uh, but we're going to be living through remarkable times. I, In my heart of hearts, I feel that. Uh, and uh, here on this program, uh, we tell it like it is. We're not censored. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about subjects uh that on mainstream media would get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, at least I could do that now. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? The thought police may shut me down somehow. Uh, but right now they're not. And uh, it's very important that you listen to each and every uh, minute of the financial position and make sure you share it uh, with friends and family, social media, put it on some forums that you think is appropriate. And uh, let's grow the financial physician family. You want to get in touch with me, very easy. Uh, just uh, email me, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want me to cover a subject, I will. I listen to my listeners, and I will cover anything you want me to cover on this program. You have a personal finance question that I could help you with, or at least point you in the right direction, great. Love those emails. Um, and I answer each and every email. If I don't, just send it again. And just make sure you put a compelling subject line in there that I'll see. Uh, and uh, if I don't answer you back, send it again. Uh, we all get so much junk in our emails. It's very easy to overlook one. That's Lou at the financial, uh, physician.com. Now, when we get married, uh, a lot of people don't do this, uh, but they have to. There's a lot of things that we have to change, uh, especially if you're uh, the wife uh, and if you're taking on uh, your uh, your spouse's last name, uh, shortly after you're married, you got some things you have to do. Number one, your social security card. So if you change your name after you get married, make sure you notify the Social Security Administration of your new legal name. To update the um, your social security record, you need to provide provide your photo identification birth certificate, and marriage certificate. Once you've gathered those documents, you could download and fill out form SS-5. Just go to socialsecurity.gov and you can get this filed. Uh, SS-5, uh, and then you bring that form, SS-5, and all your documents to your local social security office. And they're, they're usually pretty local. Uh, you could just go, if you go to the SSA.gov uh, and there's a locator there to tell you what your local office is. And you should get your new Social Security card in 10 to 14 business days. Now, you better take this step before you file your first tax return as a married couple. 
because if the name on your tax return doesn't name, uh, match the name with Social Security, uh, the IRS may delay processing your return, which also will delay your refund if you're eligible to receive one. Once you have your new Social Security card, you bring it to your current driver's license. Um, bring it and your current driver's license to your state's Department of Motor Vehicles. The dreaded, dreaded visit to DMV. Uh, and get a new license with your correct name. And you could use this new license along with your new Social Security card to update the name on your bank accounts. So there's a certain procedure here you got to do. Social Security first, driver's license second, and then go and change your bank accounts. Uh, If you have a trust, after you're married, you'll probably want to update your will or your trust and name your spouse's beneficiary. Um, very important uh, to name to name your new spouse as your beneficiary to your four hundred one k, your IRA accounts, your life insurance policies. Assuming that's who you want to be your beneficiary, maybe not. I mean, if you're getting married later in life, uh, maybe you want your kids to be your beneficiary and not your um, second husband. But usually if you're young and you're not getting married in your 60s or 70s, uh, you're going to want to make sure that you have a will, number one, and number two, that your spouse is named as your primary beneficiary and um, uh, executor. Insurance. I just mentioned life insurance. Um, but there's more to it than just life insurance. I mean, marriage is uh, considered in the life insurance circles as, quote, unquote, a life qualifying event, uh, which means you should be able to add your spouse to your employer provided health insurance without waiting for um, an open enrollment period. And most plans allow you to add a spouse, uh, but check whether doing so triggers um, a costly surcharge. You know, are you going to have to pay more out of your own pocket? Most likely, yes. You should know what that is. Now, if both you and your spouse has company-provided insurance, review each plan to determine whether it makes sense to use just one plan, one of the two, or just keep both plans. And I said, if you have a life insurance policy, you're likely going to want to make your spouse the beneficiary uh, and... um, that, again, makes sense uh, if you're not in a second marriage. Within 10 days of getting married, you should provide your employer with a new W-4 form. This is the withholding form, uh, and it determines how much uh, income tax is going to be withheld from your wages and each paycheck. Now, you're not required to change your withholding after your marriage, uh, but you may want to see your accountant because your combined income could affect the amount you should have withheld. You want to avoid underpaying uh, and having a tax bill due when you do your first tax return. And you want to avoid overpaying. Um, And a good accountant will determine whether or not you should change uh, your W-4. So there it is. You get married. Too many people don't do this. I often see a new client come in. uh, They're opening up an account with me with their husband. uh, And I have to make a copy of their, their driver's license due to the Patriot Act. And their name has not been changed. Uh, Their maiden name is still there. And that causes all kinds of problems. 
Uh, I've had clients come in to do their taxes, uh, and they're married for two years, and they still haven't changed their Social Security card. Problems. So, again, the order, go to Social Security with your birth certificate, your marriage certificate, a photo ID, and Social Security form SS-5. Get a new Social Security card. Go to motor vehicles with the new Social Security card and change your driver's license and your registration of your car. Call your also your car, your car insurance and change your name on that. And that's another thing, too. Now that you're married, you may want to, instead of having two different auto policies, combine them into one. And uh, if you have life insurance and you want to make your spouse the beneficiary, you want to change that. Retirement plans, got to change all those beneficiaries. And uh, maybe you're withholding tax forms. So uh, lots to do after we get married. <laughs> lots to do after we get married. Lots to do before you get married, right? Uh, getting married could be a pretty complicated process. Now let's shift gear to financial markets. Uh, this week we saw oil explode higher. Um, as we're speaking, uh, I think oil is at 86.40 a barrel, uh, and Saudi Arabia came out, uh, I think it was Tuesday, uh, and, um, and said that they are going to, uh, continue production cuts, which will extend through year end, um, well below the one month that was widely expected by the market. Russia, um, came out a little bit later and said the same thing. So uh, they're kind of putting screws on the West right now. And they know by cutting production, it's going to raise prices and raise inflation in the West. And it's a concert, uh, you know, it's uh, a conscious decision on their part. Hey, if the price of oil goes up, they make more money. Uh, and uh, they could, um, you know, Put a little jab to the West at the same time. Now, you're going to see uh, gasoline pro uh, prices follow. We're starting to see it now. Uh, we will be going over $4 uh, a gallon in most parts of the country. Probably by, I would think, the end of September. Uh, so we already saw a 25% increase in the price of gasoline this year so far. We got more to go to the upside. Now, some people are saying that we... Uh, We'll see 100-plus a barrel oil in the near future, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Some people are even saying 150. I don't care how high the Fed raises interest rates. Uh, you can't battle inflation when you have rising energy prices because energy goes into everything. Petroleum is in 6,000 products, not to mention energy is needed to make electricity. Uh, energy is needed to... Um, Ship everything, manufacture everything. Energy obviously is needed for transportation. Uh, so energy, rising energy prices is inflation, and it flows through the entire system. And that's why it's so important to keep an eye on energy prices because, it's again, the Fed could raise interest rates to 20%. It's not going to change the supply and demand equation. Now, it may affect demand for oil slightly because the economies of the world will slow down uh, with high interest rates like that. Uh, for the most part, though, raising interest rates due to supply chain concerns and supply demand issues uh, 
doesn't work. Whether it's food, whether it's energy, uh, um, the Fed's pretty impotent to do anything about it. So I'm going to keep a keen eye on oil prices and gasoline prices. Also, we're entering um, the home heating oil season. I feel bad for all you people uh, who use home heating oil. Uh, When I lived in uh, Jackson, New Jersey, uh, for 22 years, I had a house that had heating oil. My God, what it it costs to heat um, my home for the winter. Ridiculous, probably four or five thousand dollars. It's ridiculous, and oil prices weren't as high as they are now. So the last thing, if you you have oil heated at your house, the last thing you want to see is rising oil prices, um, and you should have quite a bit of trepidation uh, as uh, oil prices start approaching a hundred dollars a barrel. Um, you're going to be looking at astronomical heating oil prices. All right, the quote-unquote health authorities have been floating trial balloons about mask mandates again and uh, the new election variant uh, and how we have to may have to lock down again. We may have to wear masks on planes and trains again. And from what I'm seeing, the American public are saying, no way, ain't going to happen. I will not comply. Uh all the way from Donald Trump uh, to everybody that I talk to. No way do we want to go back uh, to that fear-based lifestyle. Uh, and even, you know, Labor Day weekend, New York City, health authorities, quote-unquote, uh, asked residents to mask up during Labor Day weekend. Amidst the latest wave of COVID-19 cases, and of course a broader resurgence of the hysteria, over the disease that, you know, kills less than 0.01% of people who get it. And just so you know, when you have a virus and it mutates, newer strains are generally weaker than their predecessors. And that's the way it is. So every new mutation, in most cases, makes the symptoms less severe. But again, they're all trying to... uh, Float. Uh, we already have some colleges masking up their students or making uh, vaccines mandatory. Vaccines that are killing 20-something-year-old people left and right with heart diseases and strokes and whatnot. It just still blows my mind that this vaccine is still being pushed on the public. And now in uh, a week or so, is uh, coming out with their new booster shot. Just in time for the new variant. But they say that the old booster shots uh, don't work on a new variant. So get your next booster shot. I don't trust anything that quote-unquote health authorities are saying right now. Now, the CDC, after receiving a lot of backlash about rumors going around that, you know, they were going to have to mask up in airports and planes again. Uh, so they responded to all the speculation that the agency would be bringing back mask mandates on public transportation. Um, a spokesman for the CDC told the Epic Times on August 29th that COVID-19 hospital admission levels are currently low for more than 96% of the United States, 
but that the agency recommended that transportation workers, travelers, passengers, and others get the COVID-19 vaccine before they travel. Uh, The spokesperson went on to say anyone may choose to wear a mask in crowded or poorly ventilated indoor areas, including on public transportation and in in transportation hubs at any time. The agency also doesn't currently have any mandate in effect. The CDC's advice for individual and community actions around COVID-19 are tied to hospital admission levels. Uh, So they're trying to back off on this because there's been such a, a, a pushback on this by the, by the public. Uh, and also um, President Trump, you know, who says, and I agree with him, it's just in time for next year's election, you know, get those mail-in ballots going. Can't have you show up and vote. Uh, it's the same old playbook as the last election, uh, but it's not going to fly this time. And as if the COVID scamdemic couldn't get any more absurd, uh, the Centers for Disease Control is now admitting that the COVID vaccine, quote-unquote vaccine, causes those to, re- those to receive it to be more susceptible to infection than someone who is unvaccinated. Unbelievable. Oh, you see uh, Jill Biden... Uh, he's got COVID again. Two shots, two boosters, and she's got COVID again. And of course, they're uh, trying to prep for another lockdown. It's not going to work. Everybody's going to see it uh, for what it is. And as I said, it's quite curious timing, you know, just about a year before the next presidential election. And now, you know, Dr. Fauci, who should be in jail. This guy is probably the biggest criminal in the history of America, or the world for that matter. You know, he lied to all of us, lied to Congress, that his organization, the National Institute of Health, uh, he said they weren't funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. It's absolutely true, he was. That's where the virus came out of. So he's responsible for the creation of the virus that caused the worldwide pandemic. And he's out there first telling us we, we need masks, we don't need masks, uh, masks work, they don't work. Then pushing us all to get a vaccine. When him and other doctors that are part of the NIH benefit financially from these pharmaceutical manufacturers, they don't care about us. They don't care about, you know, this is a, a big experiment. We're all lab rats. Look at this headline from Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch on Thursday released a tranche of records revealing Pfizer tested the safety and efficacy of the COVID vaccine booster on only 23 people in 2021 before it asked the FDA to approve the shots. And of course, Biden's FDA immediately approved the COVID booster shot. The participants, the participants in the trial included 11 people ages 18 to 55, 12 people aged 65 to 85. So 23 people. And that is considered testing for safety and effect, uh, efficacy? 
I don't trust anything coming out of the FDA. I don't trust anything coming out of the CDC. I don't trust it. And I told you on this program, when they were bringing out these vaccines, that this is not a vaccine, this has not been tested, that I wouldn't take it. And I haven't. And now we're hearing all these injuries coming up. Young athletes dropping dead, having heart attacks. Clots, strokes. And it doesn't even work. Oh, as a matter of fact, you're more susceptible to getting COVID by getting the vaccine. It's absurd. Why would you take that? An experimental vaccine, 23 people was tested on, and they want to give it to hundreds of millions of people. It normally takes 10 years to test and get an approval for a vaccine. And they brush this mRNA gene-altering bioweapon into the public. And now they want to want you to take it. Every year there'll be a new variant. And just like the flu, they're going to want you to take a new shot. And now Pfizer's coming out with their mRNA flu vaccine. I've never had a flu vaccine. I never will. So Fauci, uh, you know, he likes to he likes to be on TV, um, and uh, he he's on CNN a lot. He's on MSNBC. Um, you know, those the stations that love the fear mongering, love us to be in masks, love us to be locked down. They love our children having mask on in school. They love lockdowns. They love uh, mail in ballots, and. Uh, so Fauci, um, who led the White House task force, uh, he comes out and he's confronted uh, with the host on CNN about uh, a massive study that came out, uh, probably the most comprehensive study on mask effectiveness regarding the COVID-19 uh, virus. And they come out and say, unequivocally, that doesn't work, period. But Fauci can't admit it. All right. He does admit that, well, maybe maybe it um, uh, it works uh, for an individual, but not the general population in the pandemic, whatever that means. Listen, I would hope that if, in fact, we get to the point where the volume of cases is such and organizations like the CDC recommend CDC doesn't mandate anything. I mean, recommends that people wear masks. I would hope that they abide by the recommendation and take into account the risk to themselves and to their families. And again, we're not talking about forcing anybody to do anything. Totally understood. There is a perception out there by many, how many, I don't know, that they don't work and that the data concludes that they didn't work in the first go round. Respond to that on masks. Yeah, well, that's not so. I mean, when you're talking about at the population level, that the data are less strong than knowing that if you look on a situation as an individual protecting themselves or protecting them from spreading it, there's no doubt that masks work. Different studies give different percentages of advantage of wearing it, but there's no doubt that the weight of the studies, and there have been many studies, indicate the benefit of wearing masks. So we still can't get away from um, wanting us to all mask up. Regardless of the study, and and the host uh, Mike Smirkanish uh, of CNN, uh, 
he goes on to list this study, uh, and then Fauci is kind of caught, and he tries to back away, but he really never does. I'm going to refer to one of them. You've heard about it before. I heard about it from a number of radio callers. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist, who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on. What about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality surgical or cloth masks? Makes no difference. None of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. But when you talk about as an individual basis of someone protecting themselves or protecting themselves from spreading it to others, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage. When you took at the broad population level, like the Cochrane study, the data are less firm with regard to the effect on the overall pandemic. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about an individual's effect on their own safety. That's a bit different than the broad population level. What a bunch of bullcrap. I mean, the study said unequivocally, masks don't work, period, full stop. But he still is saying, well, on an individual basis, it does. Oh, on an individual basis, it helps you, but on a global population basis, it doesn't. It can't be both. And well, there's other studies. Well, this is Dr. Fauci. I mean, he he's flip flopped so many times on this. March eighth, twenty twenty. Dr. Fauci advised healthy Americans against wearing face masks. So this is the beginning of the craziness. A month later, April 2020, the CDC said Americans should be wearing face masks for COVID. The next month, May 2020, Dr. Fauci and the New England Journal of Medicine have admitted that masks are little more than symbols, virtual signaling. Virtual signaling. Virtue signaling. January 25th, 2021, Dr. Fauci told healthy Americans to wear two masks instead of one. You remember that? February 10th. A couple of weeks later, 2021, the CDC claimed two masks are better than one. July 13th, 2021, Fauci said two-year-olds should mask up. No doubt about that. And many more instances. Oh, wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Masks don't work. There's been studies done. The holes in the masks are multiples bigger than the virus. It does not stop it. It's like a chain link fence start trying to stop a mosquito from going through it. But meanwhile, they want you to wear the mask. Why? Because it's a symbol of fear. And they want you to be afraid. They want you to be afraid to be around anybody else again. They want you to be fearful of leaving your house to wait in line to vote next year. Uh, they want to control you. 
and we'll see where this goes because the people are really pushing back on this. Uh, we've all been through this. We're still getting over our PTSD of what it was like to be locked out and to see our children kept home from school and when they go to school be masked up the whole day and coming home with all kinds of respiratory ailments because they're breathing their own carbon dioxide all day and they're wearing the same mask every day. Um, it's just unbelievable. But uh, they're not going to let it go. And if, you know, we're not going to accept this, they'll come out with a worse germ uh, th- that will really put the fear of God in us. I'll tell you, something's going on here. I, I, I know what it is, but I'll keep that to myself. All right, so what's the other scam that we're dealing with? Of course, climate change. International scientists have joined together and signed a declaration dismissing the existence of a climate crisis and insisting that carbon dioxide is beneficial to Earth, contrary to popular alarmist narrative. There is no climate emergency, the Global Climate Intelligence Group said in its World Climate Declaration, Declaration made public in August, climate science should be less political, while climate policy should be more scientific. Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real cost as well as the imagined benefits uh, of the policies. A total of 1,609 scientists and professionals from around the world have signed the declaration, including 321 from the United States. The coalition pointed out that Earth's climate has varied as long as it has existed, with the planet experiencing several cold and warm phases. The Little Ice Age only ended as recently as 1850, they said. Therefore, it's no surprise that we're now experiencing a period of warming. Well, there's some scientists that uh, are actually scientific. And, of course, you know, all this hysteria on climate change uh, has instituted policies that, that they use to justify sweeping lifestyle changes for Americans. And the energy department's out of control, restricting home appliances, gas stoves, ceiling fans, washing machines. Unbelievable all based on this hoax of climate change, zero carbon footprint. It's real insane. To think that a man could really affect the Earth's temperature that much, uh, and B, uh, that we could stop it if we, if we just do away with eating meat and driving electric vehicles, that's insanity in itself. And it's pretty arrogant if you ask me. But they want to spend trillions of dollars on this uh, and uh, disturb the lifestyle that we've been used to. We're trying to get rid of your car, your stove, your refrigerator, your ceiling fan. It's just unbelievable. It's amazing how these globalists try to force uh, these scams on us. And it's all about control and it's all about money. Special counsel Jack Smith is gearing up to indict President Trump out of D.C. again, according to a new report by, from CNN, which means that he leaked it. You hear any leaks coming out of the special counsel investigating Biden and all his documents? Nine months, haven't heard a peep out of this guy. 
uh, all you hear is these leaks coming out of uh, Jack Smith's and indictment after indictment after indictment, utilizing uh, the Trump-hating D.C. grand jury. Um, I've never seen anything like this before, where a prosecutor indicts somebody, and then a couple months later, more indictments and a couple more more indictments. It's just I've never seen anything like that. So uh, apparently now what's he going after? He's going after Trump's fundraising efforts after uh, the election was over. And he's investigating how the money was used to inspect the voting machines. So a nonprofit was run by Sidney Powell. Um, She hired a forensic investigator to inspect voting machines in four swing states in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Arizona. Uh, and, and, and of course, Fulton County DA Fannie Willis, again, another Trump-hating liberal radical, um, indicted Trump and 18 of his associates on similar charges of computer trespass for daring to look at the voting machines. So this is what CNN reported. Special counsel Jack Smith is still pursuing his investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election a month after indicting Donald Trump for orchestrating a broad conspiracy to remain in power. Questions asked of two recent witnesses indicate Smith is focusing on how money was raised off baseless claims of voter fraud uh, was used to fund attempts to breach voting equipment in several states won by Joe Biden according to multiple, multiple sources familiar with the ongoing investigation. Um, in both interviews, prosecutors had focused their questions on the role of former Trump lawyer Sidney Powell. Uh, so now, you know, Trump had the election oversto- overturned, not against Biden, the other way around. Uh, the voting machines, uh, the mail-in ballots in the middle of the night, the stop counting, uh, all the things that happened in the uh, early morning hours of election evening uh, and the days that followed. Because uh, we never have an election day anymore. It's weeks, sometimes months. And if you want to look into the possibility of, of fraud against you, well, now you're committing felony. You can't even question it, let alone look at the voting machines. Um, it's just outrageous. And you're charged with all kinds of federal felony indictments for trying to defend yourself uh, and be vindicated when a crime is committed against you. These people are just sick. I'm telling you, not only did they pull this thing off in the middle of the night, Trump was winning by a landslide in 2020. And they pulled it off. Now they're going after him for not taking it uh, like a good boy. It's unbelievable. And, of course, with another election coming up, uh, they were trying to uh, interfere in the election and get him dumped off the ballot. Uh, it just never ends with these people. Uh, the weaponization of our justice system is just just out of control. Let's wind up with this. Um, in September 2024, less than um, two months before the next U.S. president election, the United Nations is going to ho- host um, a landmark summit of the future where member nations will adopt a pact for the future. you got to listen to this. The agreement will solidify numerous policy reforms offered by the UN over the past two years as part of its sweeping Our Common Agenda platform. Boy, that sounds globalist, doesn't it? Although there are numerous radical proposals, including in the agenda, perhaps none are more important than the UN plan for a new quote-unquote emergency platform a stunning proposal to give the U.N. significant powers 
in the event of future global shocks, such as another worldwide pandemic. Many of the details of the UN emergency platform were laid out in March 2023 policy paper titled Strengthening the International Response to Complex Global Shocks, an Emergency Platform. In the paper, UN Secretary General writes, I propose that the General Assembly provide the Secretary General of the United Nations a system with a standing authority to convene and operationalize automatically an emergency platform in the event of future com complex global shock of sufficient scale, se se severity, and reach. Once triggered, the emergency platform will give the UN the ability to actively promote and drive international response that places uh, the principles of equity and solidarity at the center of its work. There's those words again, equity and solidarity. The UN would bring together the stakeholders of the world, including academics, governments, private sector actors, and international financial institutions, to ensure there's a unified global response to the crisis. So basically what they're doing is they're taking over uh, the entire world response. The United Nations would be given unprecedented authority over public and private sectors of a huge swath of the world, all in the name of uh, battling yet an unknown crisis, which is sure to come. And as difficult as it might be to believe, the story gets even worse from here. Although the duration of the emergency platform would initially be set for a finite period, at the end of that period, the Secretary General could extend the work of an emergency platform if required. That means that the Secretary General would have the authority to keep the emergency platform in place indefinitely, all without reauthorization from member nations. So what kind of global shock uh, would trigger this? Um, the United Nations provides several examples. A major climactic event. Oh, global warming. Future pandemic risks. Scamdemic number two or three. Global digital connectivity interruption. What is that? Uh, major event in outer space. Oh, and my personal favorite, unforeseen risks, meaning anything else that they deem to be an emergency. Pretty broad categories, if you ask me. Uh, and uh, Biden's all for this, by the way. Uh, the United States is going to vote for this. So what he's doing is he's giving up our own sovereignty to decide how we're going to handle an emergency in the United States and giving up that sovereignty to the United Nations. And if they call an emergency platform, that's going to centralize an immense amount of power with the United Nations. And they'll have greater control over the lives of Americans than it ever had before. And rather stand, standing up for Americans' rights, uh, President Biden has already agreed to sell us out to the globalists. You know, if, if they call an emergency platform, according to this proposal, the United States, as we know it, would cease to exist. Uh, we would have no freedom to decide how we're going to handle it. We'd have to um, listen to whatever the United Nations, an unelectable body that we didn't elect, people didn't elect, to decide um, what we need to do, which may mean forced, forced vaccinations and who knows what. We live in interesting times, my friends. I'm telling you, something's going on. 
<laughs> it's not good. Uh, and uh, they're trying to kill us. I'm convinced of that. Whether it's through vaccines, through, through poisoning, GMO, nuclear war, uh, pandemics, uh, something's trying to kill off the human species. Uh, and uh, we could all speculate on, on why and how, uh, but uh, that's for another show. All right, let's wrap it up. We're at the end of our midweek podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing the podcast with friends and families. Remember, we have our uh, main podcast uh, up Sunday. I'll have it up by 9 a.m., probably earlier than that. Make sure you join us for that. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day. You want to get in touch with me, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want to come in for a no-obligation financial review, We'll go over everything in your financial life. I'll give you a total checkup, and uh, we'll give you ideas on how to go forward and be financially healthy. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs>